0: Well, good morning. It is such a blessing to be here with you this morning, whether you're here on the Candegua campus or whether you're watching online. My name is Karen, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm so excited to spend this morning worshiping with you in song and now the opportunity to open God's word and later in our service celebrating communion together. So this morning, we're going to look at probably the most well-known psalm. Similar to the way that many Christians and non-Christians can recognize and recite John 3.16, Psalm 23 is a psalm that just about everyone has had exposure to, and you could recognize it whether you hear it or whether you see it. Familiarity does have its downfalls, however, and so sometimes when we are really familiar with a psalm, it grows kind of um, old and cliche, predictable, but I hope this morning... That we're able to hear and read this psalm with fresh ears. Before we dig into it, though, I want to give you a little bit of background as to how I came to choose Psalm 23 for us to look at this morning. A few years ago, I listened to a sermon series on Psalm 23, and it really challenged me in a way that was uncomfortable and a bit convicting, and yet I absolutely loved what God was teaching me through that. Like all things— I focused on what I was learning, and I tried to change some of my habits for a season. And then, you know, you start changing things, and slowly you slip back into your old habits. And so that is exactly what happened until February of 2020. In February of this year, I went back to that sermon series, and I listened to it again. I was in a season where I was feeling tired. Not just tired, exhausted, physically Mentally, spiritually exhausted. Anyone ever been there? As I was re listening to this series, I remembered what God had convicted me of before, and that was that I needed to find more time for rest in my life. Now, rest does not necessarily mean more sleep, although that may be part of it. More rest for me meant that I needed to find more time to just be quiet, to be still to turn off expectations from others and of myself. That probably would look different for every person in this room. What gives me rest might exhaust someone else. What energizes one person may seem daunting and exhausting to me. What I need is different from what you need, and what you need is different from what I need. God has a funny way of answering our prayers, really. Just a few short weeks after... um, I was sharing with this friend that I needed to change some things in my life in order to be obedient to what God was teaching me, COVID-19 literally shut our world down. There was no more work, there was no gym, there was no physical coming to church, there were no friends, and the real sadness. A once daily Wegmans shopper, I was forced to limit my trips to maybe one, if you were really good, two times a week. If you heard my single life sermon back in May, you may remember that I did not enjoy the season at first. I was sad. I grieved normalcy. I grieved the ability to see, let alone hug, the people in my life. And about two days into this, knowing that everything was closed down, at that point no one knew how long it would be, my friend sent me a text that said, you know, I've been thinking, didn't God speak a message of rest over you? God, I hope he speaks, or girl, I hope he speaks so loudly that to so many during this time of rest that we come out on fire for him. My first thought was, oh my goodness, this, what, what have I done? This is not what I was expecting. But I got the message loud and clear. I don't want to get into the political debate or the science behind what has happened over the last six months, but I think everyone can agree that our world has looked much different right now than it did In February. And although it has brought all kinds of ugly with it, it has also brought a season of tremendous blessings, if we're willing to see them. As we are approaching a new season of our current reality, we have to consider what we are going to allow back into our lives and how we can maintain some of the good that has developed during the last six months. For example, I developed far better sleep habits I lost the gym, but I did what, what I could with what I had, and I enjoyed five miles of conversation with my friend every day. I literally watched spring and summer unfold before my eyes as we took those walks, because every day there was something new that God had done overnight. I was didn't feel like I had to um, balance all the different roles that I play in my life. I was home every night. I was able to be fully present in each moment, expectations were few, my stress was nearly non-existent, and I have a joy I haven't felt in years. Think for a moment. What resulted from this season that blessed your life? We're quick to think of all the changes that have come that are hard and difficult for us, but think about what has blessed your life in this season. What do you not want to let go of as we move into this next phase of our current reality. We're at an interesting crossroads of sorts. We get to decide what we give our time, attention, and talents to. We have the opportunity to start fresh in nearly all things. When was the last time that happened? I can't remember that ever happening in my life. So let's look at Psalm 23 this morning. Um, I'm going to read it in its entirety the first time, and then we're going to focus on just a few of the verses as we go through. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we read the passage today, it may be easy to feel like we are now indeed walking through the darkest valley and that there is no end in sight. But, is it, but as everything with God, we are invited towards greater trust. And in the process, experience more hope, more peace, and more beauty in the midst of suffering and hardship. In his book, The Message of the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann categorizes all of the Psalms into three movements orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. So, orientation is when everything is right in the world. We're in a good place, praising God and going about life contentedly. Disorientation is when things feel difficult. There's brokenness, there's darkness and despair. And then reorientation is when God pulls us up out of that brokenness and we are brought to a greater sense of awareness and gratitude. Life is a constant back and forth rhythm of these three movements. We are constantly moving between the three. This week alone You may be able to think of a moment or a day when you experienced all three, the delicate to and fro between each of those phases. And that's one reason that Psalm 23 is so beautiful. David encompasses all three movements in just a few short verses. He reminds us that if we follow and trust in the Lord, he will meet our every need, no matter what the circumstances may be. So let's first look at verse One, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When David said the Lord is my shepherd, he was saying that his entire trust was put in the hands of God. When we say the Lord is our shepherd, we are saying that we understand who God is, his character, and that we understand the love and deep concern he has for us in our individual lives. As I was preparing this message, I I read Um, parts of a book by Philip Keller called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and I'm going to reference that book throughout this message. In it, he writes this. Obviously, David in this psalm is speaking not as the shepherd, though he was one, but as a sheep, one of the flock. He spoke with a strong sense of pride and devotion and admiration. It was as though he literally boasted aloud, "'Look at who my shepherd is, my owner, my manager.'" This summer, I have spent a great deal of time on Canandaigua Lake in my kayak. And I love going out either early in the morning or later in the evening. Honestly, it's to avoid all of you boater friends. I love you. But those are also the most beautiful times of the day to go. And so the other night, I went around 7, and I just sat. I looked to my right and watched in awe as the sun set And then I looked to my left as the moon rose at the same time. And then I looked out in front of me at the enormity and expanse of the lake in front of me. And then I basked in the fact that the same God who created the sun and created the moon and the incredible sight before me also created me just as carefully and intricately. That's my shepherd. The more we understand of who God is, the wider and deeper our understanding of him the more vital that relationship will become to us. I'm not sure how much you know about sheep, and I'm going to be honest, I knew nothing. So I am certainly not a sheep expert. But it turns out we could learn a thing or two from them. They have an utter dependence on their shepherd. In his book, Keller explained that when he first bought his sheep, that first small flock of them, they became his simply because he paid for them with money that he Uh, had from his blood, sweat, and tears of working. He goes on to say, "'But the day I bought them, I also realized that this was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which from then on I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and prosper. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock Endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us we, like sheep, need to develop an utter dependence on our shepherd. Let's move on to verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I learned from Keller that sheep are unable to lay down and rest without having four, uh, being free from four things. So I'm going to very quickly just list them, and then we'll go through each of them. They need to be free from fear. They need to be free from friction with others of their kind. They need to be free from pests, and they need to be free from hunger. Let's talk about fear for just a second. Fear and anxiety know how to tell time, I swear, and they show up at the worst possible times, just as you start to prepare yourself to lay down and rest. That's when our little ones might come running out of the room 65 times to tell us that there's no monster under their bed or in their closet. And that is when our monsters, be them figurative or literal, you choose, show up. It is impossible to rest, truly rest, when we're afraid. If you lay your head down and start playing the what-if game, your hope for a restful night's sleep is out the window because you cannot possibly begin that what-if game and have the ability to close your eyes a few minutes later and rest. And if you can, come tell me your secret. The what-if game leads to a panic-stricken string of events, imagined events, that probably won't happen but steal all our joy and peace and rest anyway. The Lord is my shepherd. He stands watch for me. He is with me when I lay down. He is with me, and he can handle any of those fears and anxieties that start to creep their way into my heart. And if I trust him, I won't even begin that what-if game. The next thing they need to be free from is friction with others of its kind. In other words, conflict. We, too, need to be free from conflict in order to rest. This could be a conflict with another person, or maybe if we're playing that what-if game, it's a perceived conflict with another person. They might have no clue. It also could just be an internal conflict with ourselves. I believe fear and conflict go together. So much unrest comes from that internal battle that we begin with ourselves. The next thing they need to be free from is hunger. Anyone ever try to go to bed when you're hungry? It is impossible to sleep because the second you close your eyes, your stomach begins this unnatural, where-in-the-world-does-it-come-from growl that overtakes every instinct you have. It leaves you no choice to get up, eat half a carton of Oreos before happily going back to bed, right? When we're hungry, all bets are off for making responsible decisions. About a year ago, I had this really bad habit to curb my hunger. Um, I would go to a class at the gym at 6 at night, so I would miss dinner. I'd get home around 7.30 and be starving. And I didn't want to eat a full dinner at 7.30 because I was going to go to bed, so I would come home and I would eat cereal. Now, I'm not talking about some healthy cereal that a responsible adult would choose that would actually nourish my body. I'm talking Captain Crunchberries and Lucky Charms, okay? The point is, when we're hungry, we make bad choices. We cannot rest or come to a place of rest until our need to be full is filled. And if we aren't careful, we'll continually fill ourselves with things that won't satisfy. If we don't nourish ourselves with the things of God, we will look to things not of God to satisfy, and every time we will be left searching. The last thing sheep need to be free from is pests. In his book, Keller writes this, sheep, especially in the summer, can be driven to absolute distraction by nasal flies, bot flies, warble flies, and ticks. When tormented by these pests, it is literally impossible for them to lie down and rest. Instead, they are up and on their feet, stamping their legs, shaking their heads, ready to rush off into the bush for relief from the pests. Only the diligent care of the owner, who keeps constant lookout for these insects, will prevent them from annoying his flock. Think about the pests in your life, the little things that drive you absolutely crazy, the things that could turn into conflict if not handled appropriately. When the Lord is our shepherd, these little things that drive us crazy won't turn into big things because he will cover it for us. He will give us a spirit of peace and calm despite the frustrations that try to poke us. I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that these four things are well beyond the control of the sheep itself. Each one of these requirements for the sheep to lay down and rest is directly connected to the careful care and attention given to the sheep by the shepherd. Keller tells a story in his book about some friends who came to visit him, and with them they brought a puppy. So they get to his farm, and they open the van door, and the puppy just bounds out like puppies do, and his Herd of sheep or flock of sheep that were nearby resting instantly were up on their feet, taking off to greener pastures. He said, One frightened sheep, it only takes one frightened sheep for the entire flock to get up and blindly follow that sheep in fear. They don't look back, they don't take time to know what they're running from, they just run. He said, in the course of time, I came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do, and this applied day and night. They were at rest when they saw their shepherd. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For some of you, we may, uh, you may have been in the valley of the shadow of death for the last six months. For some of you, that may look like a cancer or other medical diagnosis. For some, it may look like a lost job. For some, it may be a failed marriage. For some, it may be the uncertainty of the school year ahead for your children and your family. Regardless of what it is for any one of us, the truth is that we have a loving shepherd overseeing us, protecting us, Fighting for us. And that is a promise that we can be sure of. Typically, this weekend in September is the close of the summer chapter and the beginning of the fall chapter. It's when going back to school routines start up. And even for people who don't have children, it is a fresh start in many realms. Even here at Crosswinds, in the next few weeks, we're gearing up for a start of another ministry year. Although it looks a little bit different this year, I want you to consider what your life looked like March 15th and what your life looks like today. I've loved being home every night. Something I have learned is that not every good opportunity is a good opportunity for me. I have learned that I have to set boundaries with my time. Now, it is important for me to set boundaries with others in my life, but I have found that it's even more important for me to set boundaries with myself in my life. Not every good opportunity is a good opportunity for me. I need to create time and space for the shepherd to care for me. And that can't happen when I'm going nonstop. Now I want to just make a disclaimer here. There is a difference between rest and inaction. We are called to serve. We are called to be in community. We are called to be an active member of the body of Christ. We rest so that we can do all of those things and be the best version of ourselves to help those around us. Understand? There's a difference between rest and inaction. We live in a society uh, where rest is completely countercultural. I guarantee if you talk to 10 different people, 10 different people this morning would tell you all the ways that they've been busy. That is like one of our first go-to th- How are you? Oh, I'm good. Things are busy. It doesn't matter what we're busy doing. I could be sorting, you know, rocks or something. I don't know. It's a bad example. But I could be doing anything and say I'm busy, right? It's better for us in our head, in our culture, to say that we're busy than then we're at rest. It doesn't matter what we're doing again. We wear that busyness like a badge of honor because in society's eyes, it looks better to them if we are at motion than at rest. But what if we responded with, hey, I'm good, just enjoying a season of rest over here, being watched by my shepherd? What would they say then? They'd probably think you were crazy, but... So let me ask you a question this morning. How tired are you right now? On a scale from zero to ten, zero being completely rested, you've never felt so good in your life, you could literally go out and run a marathon that included Ferris Hill like 75 times, and you'd be good, and 10 being, you're not really even sure how you made it here this morning. How tired are you today? The National Sleep Foundation recommends seven to eight hours of sleep for people over the age of 64, and seven to nine hours for ages 18 to 64, and then kids need even more rest. Let me tell you a secret about me. I love to sleep. I grew up in a house where we napped every Sunday, and everyone knew it. We all just went and took a nap, and everyone that knew us knew that we did that on Sundays. I lived for what I used to call sweet Saturday sleep-ins in my teen years, in my early 20s, where I would sleep as late as I possibly could on Saturday mornings. Gone are those days, right? How many of you actually slept nine hours last night? Like, really slept nine hours, okay? I'm guessing not very many of us. There are all kinds of things and all kinds of reasons where we are, why we are not getting the rest that we should. Similar to sheep, however, I'm fairly confident that we cannot be in a place of fear and trembling and sleep at the same time. For whatever reason, as we said, nighttime is when anxieties appear. It's the time of day when our minds should be quieted and ready to rest, but instead it is when our minds do the exact opposite of rest. I want to share with you two of my favorite promises found in Scripture that I tend to go to in those moments. The first is Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand hand. True rest comes when all of who we are rests in all of who he is. When my trust is in the shepherd, my soul can rest. When we take time to rest, we allow ourselves to be the best version of ourselves for the people who are most important in our lives. Remember how I said I needed rest from the expectation of the roles I play in life? We all have many roles that we play in life, roles at home, roles within our family, roles within our church family, roles at work. We cannot be the best version of ourselves if we don't take that time. But when we give ourselves that rest, the true time with the shepherd, we are able to exhibit the qualities of the shepherd to those in our life. I read an analogy this week, and I really loved it because it's about coffee and If you know me, I love coffee. So I'm going to kind of personalize it a little bit. Um, A few weeks ago, I was working summer school, and we did have in-person summer school at my school. And um, the school secretary is a very close friend of mine. I've known her my entire life, and she hugs me every morning. Yes, even this summer, she hugs me every morning. And so I walked in, and I had my Yeti full of coffee, and she went in for her hug like we did every day. And somehow... My coffee ended up all over the floor. Now, yes, that was a very sad moment. Um, Now, why did my coffee end up on the floor? Presumably, she bumped me, right? Right? Come on. Okay, well, that's the wrong answer. My coffee dumped because there was coffee in my cup. If I had had tea in my cup, there would have been tea all over the floor instead of coffee. Whatever you have in your cup is what's going to be spilled, right? So therefore, when life comes along and shakes you or rattles you, which it's going to, whatever is inside of you is what's going to come out. It's not it's it's an easy thing to fake until you get bumped and then you see how you respond. So we have to ask ourselves what's in my cup. When life gets rough, what is it that spills over? Is it joy? Is it gratefulness? Is it peace? Is it humility? Or is it anger or bitterness or harsh words and reactions? Life provides the cup and you choose how to fill it. And just a side note back to my story, she went to the gas station and got me more. So all was well with the world. When we are at peace with who is in control of our life, when we understand that the shepherd is there watching us, fighting for us, our approach to life is far different than when we are going about it on our own approach, in our own strength. When we take opportunities to rest under the careful eye of the shepherd, we will experience peace and calm. I'm going to just read verses 5 and 6 one more time to, as we wrap up. Um, and obviously, this psalm has so much to unpack, and I wish that we could go through each one, um, but we just don't have the time for that. So the end of the chapter again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's my shepherd. I don't know where you are this morning. Perhaps you haven't yet come to a place where you can confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe today would be the day that you take that, next step of faith, where you can say, I'm tired and in need of rest. Watch over me. Maybe you're like me. I know the Lord is my shepherd, and I am confident in that promise, but I need to be real mindful of the fears and what ifs that I allow into my heart and my mind, and maybe we need to replace those fears with promises instead. Maybe you're overcommitted to too many things or to too many people, and you need to step back and assess your priorities to make time and room and space for rest with your shepherd. Or maybe you're in a great season of rest, happily allowing the shepherd to watch over you. Regardless of where each one of us is, the truth remains the same, that we cannot remain at rest or rest until we come to a place of surrender and trust in the one who watches over us. Let's pray. Father God, I am... So abundantly grateful, Lord, that um, I can confidently say the Lord is my shepherd, Lord. I am uh, humbled by the fact that the same God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and every beautiful thing we see took time to carefully, intricately create each one of us. To create me, Lord. Father, as we um, enter into this new Uh, next phase of our current reality, Lord, as we um, enter a new ministry year, Lord, as we enter a new school year, there are so many um, unknowns. There's so many changes to um, what was. And Lord, that doesn't mean it's going to be bad. It just means that we need to adjust and trust you to carefully walk us through it. Lord, give us um, peace and calm in this season, Lord. Help us to truly take time to rest with you. And Lord, if there's anyone who hasn't yet made that decision to accept you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, we, um, we just pray for them now, Lord, that they would not leave this place without saying, the Lord is my shepherd. We love you and we praise you. Amen.